0: Thanks, Robert. Okay. Good morning, everybody. Well, what a beginning to our time today. Um, I just have been loving um, uh, how whenever we gather together, God likes to surprise us. He likes to show us that he likes a new sunrise every single morning. And just like he loves to have lay a totally new table um, for us to eat at, Um, uh, each time we gather together so this is my last time that I'm going to get to share okay (laughs) no what did you say Simon relax my shoulders and breathe deeply right okay that I get to share God's word with you from the platform and I just want to begin by saying a huge thank you Thank you to those of you that have actually believed in me. And you've allowed me to use and grow in my strengths and my talents and my abilities. You know, it's amazing the strength that you gain when you have someone who believes in you. When someone else is cheering you on. And I want to say thank you. And I especially want to say thank you for being Gracious with me. Gracious with me in my weaknesses and my flaws. Now, my teams, you know them all intimately because some of you have been journeying with me for the full 24 years that we've been here, um, right from Star Women uh, through to the Create team. And I do, I want to say thank you for being gracious with me in my weaknesses and imperfections. And again, forgiveness being kind, it's amazing the strength one can gain when you don't have to be perfect to be loved and to be accepted. Um, uh, We have often had people say that are new to this church, that they have found this place to be the church of the second chance, where they've been given opportunity again and they've been believed in. The call over their life has been believed in And uh, so what my teams and those of you who are in leadership and company have shared with me, this is something that God has done a beautiful work in within us, within us here. And uh, it is the culture and atmosphere and heart of Jesus himself. It is heaven touching earth. And I want to say thank you. So my message this morning is kind of like a bit of a continuation on from what I've just been saying. And I'd like to start by reading to you from Matthew 5, verses 3 to 11. Let's read it together. God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for theirs Oh, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. I'll try and read it properly. Right. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And God blesses those who are meek, who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. And God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you, and lie about you, and say all sorts of evil things against you, because you are my followers. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. This is yours. (laughs) This is yours. This is us. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, like, very much, um, God's emphasis in our services this year especially. It's kind of like he has just been going hard out, in my terms, um, of wanting to capture our attention about his presence, about actually making space and time for when he actually wants to do something with us and for us. And his desire for us to press pause, to (sighs) say la. Is one of the words in the Bible. And to use our Sabbath space every day, every week, every year, to create deliberate times of presence encountering refreshment zones that He wants us to do. John preached on that and unpacked that amazingly the other week. so I just encourage you if you don't quite click to what I'm saying, go and listen to what he um, preached online. And so his message um, uh, was just so central to what the leadership and the heartbeat of this church is all about. about the presence of God is so important. And what we seek to try and create space for um, in our times that we gather. Like this morning. Just not on the agenda. Not on the little run sheet if you get to look at it. But actually responding to God's presence and his nudge that he gives us. It is so cool. We seek to do that in our collective pursuit times we sought to do that in our healing rooms times. And we encourage you in your small group times to create these moments, these sailors these pauses where we're actually attentive and really leaning in to his presence being with us and what he wants to say and what he wants to do. And we have seen this. More and more happening in our times here on a Sunday morning. You know, Alan, who got baptized the other week, he knew the moment that he walked into this place that there was something different here. And he, he languaged it to John. He said, God is here. God is present. I can tell. I can tell God is present And that is just such a beautiful and amazing thing that he knew and recognized God was in the house. When we come into agreement with God's presence here, when we acknowledge him and we say, we want him to be here, we invite him to be here, we can do that individually But when we do that corporately, heaven touches earth, miracles happen, breakthroughs happen, addictions are broken, emotional wellness actually begins and continues its journey. Bitterness, unforgiveness, they kind of get highlighted and we get to choose whether we'll be in agreement with God and lay it down and leave it at the cross and embrace his ways, not ours. And honestly, the more that we have seen this happening in church life, the hungrier we are for it. It's not like, oh, that's so good, God, yeah, and we leave and walk out. In fact, I know for me, I come back every Sunday hungry to see what God is going to do, hungry to see how he's going to turn up, hungry to see how he's going to interrupt us with his wonderful presence. And this is the atmosphere of the kingdom. This is the atmosphere that we get to breathe, we get to step into, we get to embrace because God presents himself, but he's also within us. And it's like we give him permission to like not like break out. I don't know if that's actually like even the thing. But it's like we engage with him within and we engage with him without. It's like we want both of those to align up and happen when we gather together. He is so good, isn't he? And when we do that, he transforms us. He does the good work. It's all about Him. And He wants us to know that He is a present King, not an absent one. In those scriptures that we've been reading, Jesus is talking to the Jews about the kind of life that they're longing for, that they're looking for, that they, that they want. The good life is kind of how they might have even expressed it themselves. And he was telling them, it's in the kingdom that you will find the things that you are longing for. It's in my kingdom. And he is saying to the Jews, you know all about Roman rule. You know about that kingdom. And you're hoping that Messiah, me, any Messiah, whether you recognize it's me or not, is going to come in and overthrow the Romans, and you're going to get to rule all the land, That God has promised you. But Jesus Himself here is saying, This is my kingdom, and this is how you will recognize my kingdom. And He went on and preached His Sermon on the Mount. He went on and unpacked for the people what His kingdom people would look like and how they would function. It's amazing. And then he says, align with my rule and reign. Come into agreement with what I have spoken, and then this will lead to the good life. God blesses, and then there's a promise. God blesses, and then there's a promise. Do we come into alignment and walk into the promise? It's up to us. We have free will. We have free choice. This book, how many of you have come across it? Yeah? I highly recommend. <laughs> it is just full of the most beautiful, ah, like little sound bites of wisdom and encouragement. And in this, the mole is talking to the little boy and they are leaning over a pond, looking in at themselves. And the mole speaks these wise words. He says, Isn't it odd? We can only see our outsides, but nearly everything happens on the inside. A wise mole. How do we know that we are becoming like Jesus? Well, Jesus himself epitomizes these Beatitudes. He is the living example of his own message. So if we want to know what Jesus was like and unpacked even further, we see it when we read in these Beatitudes. He is the perfect example of his own message. And I don't know about you, but when I read those, uh, it's just like, it's beautiful. There are qualities that I want in my life. That, and, and when you read about what the, the promise and the outward flow is, I definitely want that in my life to impact my world and the people that are around me. It is good. It is good. So if we desire for anything... It is to be changed into what these Beatitudes have just said. It's not to strive to be like. Because striving, all striving is, is human effort. And it's wearying and it's exhausting and it's tiring trying to be that list of things that I just read out. And God says, I don't need you to try. Trying is not the way in which you will actually be changed. It is aligning with me. It is hanging out in my presence. I will do the good work. I will complete the good work that I have begun in you. It is not self-effort. So beatitudes the they are not the philosophy for the good life, rather The Beatitudes are outward indicators of the atmosphere of our heart. They're just outward, that they're outside, that they're indicators of what's actually going on in my heart, which is what the mole understood. (laughs) And so let's desire to be changed into. It is so counterculture because we're all about striving. We're all about working hard. We're all about making a way for ourselves. That's what the world teaches. But God is counterculture. Jesus is counterculture. He says, come into my presence, and I will do the good work that I have begun in you. It's taking each attribute and giving God permission to grow and develop that. That's scary stuff. Because he answers our prayers. I don't know if you've noticed that when you give God permission, like open, open access to our lives, and we say, God, do this. I just want to be more like you. He answers. Why? Why would he answer? Because we've become more like Jesus. And that is his whole intention and purpose for us to know him and to become like Jesus. He is beautiful. Don't try harder. And God will answer you. There will be a lot of dying to yourself. A lot. Yeah, we get that. There will be a lot of living out of Jesus. And that's the exchange that he offers us. And it's amazing. So, why don't we dive in and start at the top. The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Oh my goodness, poor in spirit people whom are poor in spirit recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt Sp- bankrupt is poor in spirit spiritually i have nothing that is that that is like all my self righteous attempts all my best efforts all my like just just like i've ticked all the boxes for like one day, I've managed it to do it all, and one day, and, and just being a good girl. Even our best efforts are like filthy rags, the word says. I like filthy rags, a bit disappointing, eh? When we've tried our hardest. <laughs> oh dear. But we recognise that there is nothing that we can do, our self-effort that will make a difference, that will bring the change. But the flip side of that is that we understand how valuable we are to God. We're poor in spirit, but we understand our value. And the the... the extremes, and just what God was willing to go through and do to reconnect us and reestablish our relationship with Father, with the Son, and with Holy Spirit. Jesus went to the cross. He took to the cross our sins, he took to the cross our stuff ups he took to the cross the, 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 the results of what that would of our actions he took and bore that all on the cross and what does he offer us in exchange? Wholeness, forgiveness, healing, acceptance, freedom and the list goes on <laughs> it goes on this is who God is, and this is what He has done. But we recognize it is all about Him, not about our self effort. I'm poor in spirit. I recognize that I desperately, desperately need Him, and that I'm desperately in need of His good and His grace. But I also understand that I'm desperately and deeply loved by God as well. When we find ourselves in, like, I think God, what he does for us is that, like, he he washes our eyes, so we see that just a bit more clearly. And it's these moments that we kind of, like, want to preserve, we don't want to move out of, because we know that when we, like, take one step sideways, it's like like, the wonder and the understanding of that just kind of, like, fades a little bit. God, when we are in that place and it just like opens up, we find ourselves not so religious. We find ourselves not so judgmental of others, not so rule-driven, not so entitled in our faith. We don't compare ourselves either positively or negatively to other people that we are around And we're not lazy about our attitude with God's grace, his goodness, and just what he's done for us at the cross. Instead, we find that we're actually more open to people who are different to us, do things differently. We're a bit more gracious. and We're not so much in a busy rush performing our good works all the time. We discover that people matter more than our jobs do. We're kinder. When we come across people like that, that live in that space of poor in spirit, don't we love hanging out with them? And I could number handfuls of people in church life here that I would say, you carry this atmosphere in your heart, that you are poor in spirit, and people love being around you. And that's why you find you have so many people drawing near. The next one, those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, Scripture has a lot of lament. You just, If you read the whole gamut, there is a lot of lamenting that happens in the Bible, and this is because God wants us to acknowledge and value what it means to mourn. In the West... I would say that we're not very good at that. We're all told to toughen up, dry your tears, stop crying. It'll be all right. Just get on. Tomorrow's another day. There are lots of expressions that we have for not facing the fact that our heart grieves, that our heart is sad. And in Christchurch, well, we've had our fair number of opportunities in recent times, to actually walk the path of mourning. The earthquakes, the fires, the mosque attack, let alone our own personal heartaches and hiccups that life brings along our paths. So I ask, have we learnt how to embrace the grief process? Have we learnt how to mourn? You know, this is called EQ in uh, uh, the world's language, our emotional quotient. It's about our emotional well-being. Like, we have intelligence quotients, and so, like, how far up the little ladder and little rung are you? Well, emotional quotient is, like, how aware are we of our emotional world and how whole are we in that space? This is morning helps us grow, and wholeness in this area. Mourning happens when we love deeply or we care deeply, when we commit to the journey with people, not just our nuclear family often, but the humanity that God has placed around you. Of Jesus himself, it was said he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So he has walked where we walk. He has walked where we walk. And personally, I have learned that God is with you in the baldness and the barrenness of grief. Just like that tree on the, well, my left, you're anyway, the grey one. <laughs> and yes, when you're in grief, it does feel like you're exposed, like you're stripped bare like you're vulnerable and that it is dark, and that you are alone and you cannot see a way out. You feel overwhelmed and powerless. Grief are a whole set of powerful emotions. But you are not alone. God himself is with you in that space, and the journey of mourning transforms you to be like the tree on the right where you bloom again. We're not to stay in the gray, sparse, bald, lifeless, barren place. We're to move through to the life that we have. God Himself is in that space with you, and He sends His people to walk alongside you in that space as well. That you are not alone. And saying that we don't need anyone, that you know that we're tough that we're okay, that I just breathe it in and I do it with God, you know, it's just me and God and it's all good. We don't believe, uh, I've even heard it said, you know, I don't do emotions. Think, egads, one day you're going to pop and it's going to be messy, you know. (laughs) We don't do emotions. Or I don't need anybody else to come and walk alongside me. This is just a me and God thing. Well, can I just say to you, respectfully. That is a lie. A big fat one that many of us have fallen for, thinking that we need to be tough, or that we need to protect ourselves, or we've got stuff that's gone on in our past that actually like helps push us towards that precipice of that lie. But it is just that. It is a lie. And we are being robbed of what God had dreamed from, dreamed of and planned for from the beginning. You know, we'd only been here in Christchurch for a couple of years when my mum passed away under tragic circumstances. And most of you kind of know that story. Um, and come and talk to me later if you would like to, you know, know more. But um, uh, we, we had only been here for a couple of years. And we had to fly back up to Auckland because that's where my family are. And Mike, you flew up as well. So that we would be together. And I will never forget that, that whole time passed in a blur, like, like death and grief does. It just blurs you out. But I will never forget your action. Of wanting to mourn with and to do the grief journey with. It made me value the church family so much more. Helped me understand that even though I couldn't be with my family, there would be family here that would be willing to do that. And Miriam, gosh, you helped me unpack the grief journey and this foreign land that I was now in that looked like that tree that I wondered if I would ever get out of again but without you you shortened that time because you mentored me and loved me through that process and gave me markers of how to do that how to journey that well and then we had the privilege of being able to give back when Morris passed and yet you showed yet again another facet of how to mourn and how to grieve and how to lean into God's faithfulness and his goodness. I jokingly thought to myself when I was writing this, I want to be like Miriam when I grow up. (laughs) You know, her heart, the atmosphere of her heart. God's done a beautiful work in Miriam's heart and in Mike's heart willing to be there. God intended right from the beginning when he created Adam and Eve, he walked with them in the cool of the garden. There was always to be someone walking alongside you, humanly speaking, and there was always to be him walking alongside of us. We need God and we need others. Do not be robbed of that truth. Do not be let what has gone on in your past rob you and tie your hands from being able to allow someone to walk alongside you and help you do the journey so that you can mourn well and find yourself finally back out like a flourishing tree, moving through that season Carrying the gems and the gifts that God has actually given you in that space and place. Do we mourn well? The next one is meek. Blessed are the meek, for theirs is the whole earth. I mean, whole earth. God never uses words that he just doesn't mean, they're never like an expression of something that is not quite true. Whole earth. That's like a lot of influence and a lot of, like, authority. The whole earth is theirs. It's amazing. But meek, meek today is often just weak. Meek equals weak. Okay, it is also translated as gentle and mild. You know, meek, Jesus is is meek, gentle, and mild, and we often see him as a baby. It's just like only babies are like that, you know, Grown human beings are not like that. But let me tell you that it also means humility and it also means reserved or controlled strength. Meekness, reserved or controlled strength. And we totally see this in Jesus many times throughout Scripture where he could have exercised his strength and his influence and he chose not to. He chose to withhold that. He chose to listen to the Father as to what do I do here. He could have called down the angels. He could have called down fire like his, <laughs> his wonderful disciples wanted to do to that town that weren't, you know, being very nice. We'll get the fire down, God, you know. They knew that Jesus could do this. They understood this. But Jesus chose to not... Do this. He chose the road of meekness. In John three thirteen verse twenty one, when he's in the garden and he's about to be arrested, and there's like it's chaos. You know, there's guards marching in, and he's with his group, and you know, and then they're all kind of like around Jesus, and then there's swords being whipped out by Peter, and you know, and and Judas like comes forward to do the kiss, and then there's slashing, and it's a bit chaotic. And Jesus' response, picks up the ear. (laughs) I find this quite funny that the story's even in the Bible. Picks up the ear, lays it back against the side of the head that had actually been slashed off and heals it. And then says, is it me that you want, basically? And goes with them. He chooses to listen to what the Father wants him to do rather than just choosing his own pathway Of what he thinks he ought to do. Have you noticed when you read the scriptures, especially the gospels, that Jesus never grasped for authority? He never grasped for power or for influence. You know, if he had something to say, he always said it to the appropriate people in their presence. You never read of how he had backroom chats with the disciples discussing those Pharisees, or that leader? You don't even read of it, do you? No, because that is not how Jesus operated at all. He, never, he lived out of integrity, and he lived out of meekness. Are we meek with our interactions with the people that we meet You know, when we first arrived here, um, one of the processes that we went through with the church was called setting your church free, and the reason that we did that was because we wanted to establish a beautiful, firm, new foundation for the church to actually step into for this next season, for the next era, the next time frame that um, John and I were going to be a part of this. And one of the things that you do in setting your church free is you look at the church's history. And you um, look back to the previous pastors and, you know, analyze what's actually gone on and taught them. And one of the things that we discovered was that in this church's history, there seemed to be displayed quite a bit of unmeek-like behavior. <laughs> it's nice that you laughed, Mike. <laughs> yeah unmeek-like behaviour displayed by factions. So when we arrived, the church is split three ways. Um, And uh, and it was all based on who was more suited to run the church, who was actually better at it than the pastor that was actually in place. And um, uh, as a result and as an example of how that was lived out, that got noticed and highlighted over every single time that pastor then moved on was this awful, mean-spirited gossip that would swirl around and attack the leadership of the pastor and also attack their family. Now, there was always a thread of truth, a thread of truth through the gossip. But as gossip is gossip, it's always one-sided. It's never the full picture. And it always kind of is a bit like Chinese whispers, just kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And actually for me, what was really sad was recognising that the enemy had gotten in and it was through us. It was through our mouths. It was through our actions. The way that we chose to wield our power and our influence how we took out our pain and our frustration um, and the agendas that we came with. So I was the new pastor's wife. Whee! Anyway, I wasn't skipping. <laughs> um, I determined in my heart with God as soon as we were like working through that, that this was not a path that I would choose. Every single pastor's wife for quite a number before us stopped coming to church. She just withdrew because of the pain, because of the agony. And I said, Lord, please help me. Help me to keep my heart tender and to keep my heart soft for his kingdom's sake, for his kingdom's sake. I have to say that I have been sorely tempted at times (laughs) (laughs) to withdraw, but I had made that commitment, that vow, really, in some ways, with God, not on my watch. I was not going to do this. I was not going to go this way. That I would bless and not curse. I would choose that. God help me. That was often my prayer. But I would bless and not curse. Even when other mouths have run away all around, my mouth would not. My mouth would not. I would not become a tool of the enemy to bring division and break unity in the church. I love Jesus' example. I look to him to see what I should do. So are we meek in how we handle ourselves with one another? Then the next one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Can you remember the first time you had a crush on someone? I know for some of us it's scrolling a long way back. Okay. A long way. You might want to think of a kitten then or something like that. You know, that might be more recent. Anyway, the first time you fell in love or you had a crush on someone, you just long to hang out, don't you? You would try and think of anything that you could do (coughs) that would bring you into connection with them. You could be there. You hungered and thirsted for time to be together, to be together, to spend together. And here, we, so, we just so recognize that hungering and thirsting is actually not passive. It is totally proactive. And righteousness, righteousness is the standard of being right with God and right with the world. Right with God and their being right in the world. And Stephen... We're about to use, Is he here today. Stephen Collins, he's out there. Okay, I'm mentioning him. He can have a free crunchy. <laughs> um, I just so remember him uh, displaying this hunger and thirsting for righteousness in his own life, so that he could walk into the world and be right in the world as well. To do with his baptism. There was no rain, no storm. No flooded stream was going to stop him. I was so tempted to put, like, the real picky up, but no, we won't do that. (laughs) Nothing was going to stop him from this date that he had set because he was passionate about drawing a line in the sand that he was firmly in, firmly in the kingdom, determined to do what was right with his whole, whole life. It was such a great declaration and such a clear declaration of the deep work that was actually at work in his heart, that his personal life and his public life, hi Stephen, just finishing talking about you, um, (laughs) matched each other, this kind of living draws the power of the Holy Spirit. It is intense and it is wonderful. And we need these ongoing encounters with God like we had this morning, where we say yes to him and let him reset our hearts so we don't lose that first love that we had for him and that we would stay in the having for him, that we don't default into striving to make a difference in the world's ways but that we lean into him and want to live out of his ways to affect and and touch the world to make the world right with God. The next one is merciful. Ah, blessed are the merciful. Can I read you this statement? Jesus gave us the consequences of his actions, not the consequences of ours. That is mercy. Jesus gave us the consequences of his actions, not the consequences of ours. And when we need mercy, (laughs) we want it. (laughs) We want people to be merciful with us when we've blown it. And often our most powerful growth times are when we are being offered mercy. And you know how I talked to you about wanting to leave well? I spoke to everybody about... We want to leave well so that we can step into the new, and we wanted you guys to actually help us leave well so that you can actually step into the new good. Well, one of the things that I knew that I had to do was that I had to go talk to a girlfriend that I had... <sighs> okay. that I had withdrawn from for a number of years. But I knew I needed to do this to leave well, so I could enter well. So I messaged her, as <laughs> yes, you do. Hey, I know we. I haven't talked to you in a wee while. It'd be great to catch up before I move on. And she came back straight away, saying, "You name the place, you name the time, and I'll clear my diary." And I was like wow, I, I just didn't know what to expect, you know, like, oh, you know, I could be free on this day, or I could be free on that day, you know, you know, the normal juggle, jiggle, like I, but she was just like, no, I will clear everything for you, so I took a deep breath, and we met, we met, and we talked, and we shared, and she listened, and then we laughed, and we cried and she put herself in my shoes. She was mercy filled so she could be merciful and I am so grateful because I can now walk with a lighter heart because she understands the process that I was going through but she still chose to be merciful and not hold on to that pain of me withdrawing and not really giving her any explanation whatsoever because I just couldn't. I was too afraid of being hurt again. I am so grateful that mercy is given. Are we merciful with the people that are around us? Pure in heart, what's the time? Pure in heart, I'll whip through these. Um, Pure means to will one thing, to will one thing, to have nothing else um, that will actually clamor and take our attention and our affection for whatever that one thing is. But pure in heart, our heart has only one thing on its mind. I just want you and nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. It's the song that we've been singing over and over. And there are so many things today that will clamor for your attention and your affection. But will we allow our heart to be pure for Jesus and for Jesus alone? The, the next one is peacemakers. Oh, my goodness, peacemakers. Peacemakers aren't the people that just stay silent because they don't want to rock the boat. Peacemakers know how to bring peace into a situation where there is no peace. They know how to bring that in to the spaces that they belong to. They also know the power of the rebuke from a friend. Um, And that that is part of what actually establishes peace. Peace. I remember uh, a few years ago um, I was part of the team and I arrived late and I was flustered and I was a bit anxious and I I joined in with the team and that came across to the team and I probably was a bit short and a bit sharp. At the end of the service that day I had someone come and say can I actually have a conversation with you? It was Matt McInnes. Hi, Matt. You too can have a crunchy bar at the end of the service. (laughs) And he said, "Can I have a a chat with you?" And I was like, "Sure," you know, because I was feeling fine by then, when my flusteredness was all, you know, dissipated and gone out. And the and the anyway, he just asked me, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm. No, no, I'm doing pretty good." I said, "Why?" And then he unpacked for me how I came across in the team that morning. And he began his gentle and kind rebuke. And I grew in awareness of really understanding we all get to choose who we bring into any type of gathering. And any time we're meeting one-on-one, any time we're just having a conversation, I get to choose who I bring. What do I want to bring? And why? Why did Matt do that? Because he's a peacemaker. He wanted to make sure that we would preserve the peace and the unity in the band and not have me, you know, negatively feisty <laughs> with our time together. And I value that. And I have treasured that, and I have remembered that. The willingness of a friend's rebuke, a peacemaker. And the last one is persecuted, which, oh my goodness, none of us enjoy this one. We all want to kind of like, whoop, trying to do the sideways of this. And yet, Jesus himself says that we will share in his sufferings. And persecution comes in all forms, and all ways, in unexpected places, in unexpected times. Like you have found in your workspace. But Jesus has a beautiful gift about that. He says that there will be treasure in heaven for you because you choose to respond with meekness and with integrity and with love and with kindness. And you choose, probably at times, to be the peacemaker because you need that voice to speak into that place. All of these be attitudes. They're all to do with the atmosphere of our heart and how we relate to others and how we relate with God. They are not an amazing tick list for the kingdom or performance indicators. They're not like, you know, your spiritual gift list, which you just go through and answer a bunch of questions and say, oh, yes, I'm like that. Oh, no, I'm not like that. They're also not like, you know, an enneagram of your strengths. So you can pick and choose and say, I just, I like that one, and not that one, not that one, but that one. It's not like that. These come as a whole package. This is the kingdom that Jesus is inviting us into. This is the atmosphere and the culture of heaven that he wants to actually do in our own hearts, and our own lives, and not by trying harder. Self-effort will just burn you out and make you cynical. This happens by being in his presence and by receiving him and receiving all that he is. Could I have the band come up? Sorry, Carl. (laughs) I'm about to wrap up. These are the atmosphere of the heart, of my mind, my will, and my emotions. And they are beautiful. And the invitation is, is will we lean in? Will we Go after those spaces and times and places with him. Will we set aside time every day? Will we set aside a time every week? Will we set time aside every year for those presents, deep and filling, refreshing encounters with God, preserving our first love with him and allowing him to do the good work that he does within us. Yes, we have to come into agreement with him. Yes, we have to cooperate with him. Yes, we have to come to the cross and lay things down, ask for forgiveness from him, maybe even ask for forgiveness from others. But it's the work that he has begun and that he completes. He's not calling us to try harder. He's calling us to relax in him and then follow him and what he calls us to. So will we cherish the times like we had this morning? Will we lean into those spaces? Or we think, oh, eh, that's not for me. I don't do that sort of thing. I don't go to the front because he gave us everything for us to experience and know his presence. The band are going to sing the song that I was just talking about. And it starts, with Its first line is, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. For some of us, this is like, we're not used to this kind of thing. We, we're doers. We like being doers. But God calls us to be as well with him. Be attitudes. Be with him. They're not do attitudes. They're be attitudes. To be with him. (laughs) So I'm just going to finish this time out by allowing, giving space for you to be able to respond to him. I know that when I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit has been leaning into some of you and whispering in your ear. To others, he's actually been nudging and you can quite physically feel him like nudging you over something that he is revealing and showing you. For others of you, he's leaning in and kind of like highlighting, saying, see, this is what I'm doing. It's a good work. Trust me. Trust me. I am changing you from glory to Glory. And I will complete the good work that I am beginning in you. So I'm going to create space. Um, If you would like to sing, sing. If you'd like to come to the front and just hang out in his presence. If you want to stay seated, and lift your arms because that's actually a happier place for you. Do that do that respond to him but if you come forward i encourage you to do that especially if that's like a block for you if you're like a i don't do that front stuff if that's a block for you if god's nudging you to do that listen to him not me not me listen to him and what he's actually asking you to do come forward And there will be people that will just want to bless you. You don't have to tell them what God's doing, but they want to bless you in your journey because God said, walk together. Walk together. For others of you, you might find someone, you know that you just need to go and talk to someone, that person that you travel and journey life with, and you get them to pray with you. Get them to pray with you so that you can experience all that you are longing for, for God to accomplish today. Would you stand to your feet with me? If you are in the room and you have never said yes to Jesus and that you're like, I'm in for this kind of living, like if this is what we're meant to be like, if this is what being a Christian is actually supposed to look like, feel like, and be like, I wanna be in. If you know that you desperately need and want His goodness, His love, His mercy, His forgiveness, I wanna give you this opportunity to open your heart and open your whole being. If you have come with someone, ask them to come down with you to the front because I would love to be with you, to pray with you. If that is you, I welcome you. Come, come and begin the most amazing journey of your life that you will ever walk into. But for the rest of us, let's just do some business with God. Let the truth of these words wash over you and respond to his whisper or his nudge.